Welcome, everybody, to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 224, and my name is Greg. I'll be your host today because Gitch is not here, and Darcy had a pre... Uh, you don't know how to finish that one. You don't. Pre-booked time. <laughs> really? <laughs> What's the phrase? So are you... Are you saying that previous you, are, engagement. you are the host because you nobody else was willing to do it? That's it, precisely what I'm saying. So welcome here. Let me introduce who's around the table. Uh, making us sound good today is Matt Crocker, the intern producer extraordinaire. Paul Siemens is here. Hi. Pastor Jeff Pucknam is here. It's good to see you today, Greg, Paul. <clears throat> and a guest appearance. Guest appearance? All the way from Kenya. No, mission. Mission. Mm. Pastor Ezra. Hey. How you doing, man? It's good. I'm good. I see you have a Band-Aid on your index finger. Yes. What's I, going on? What happened? No, I, I was uh, washing, doing some dishes in my house yesterday, and uh, there was a knife that was Ooh, in, in the, the water in the sink that I didn't see. And so as I was getting all these dishes to wash them, uh, my finger and the knife got to know each other. Are you a cooker? You cook stuff or you do you, you like you... Uh Chef, Chef Ezra, Chef Chevra. I cook a lot in my house. Yes, I do a lot of cooking. It's it's very relaxing. I don't like the cleanup after, but I love the, making the mess. The cleanup doesn't like you either. By the looks of your finger, no kidding. Do you cook Kenyan specialties? Yes, I do. What is what is the best thing you cook? And if you say ugali, I'm gonna punch you in the face. <laughs> wow, Jeff is violent. Actually, it is ugali. No, it's. <laughs> I love ugali. Ugali is Tell my, people what ugali is. Okay, basically cornmeal. Uh, so you boil water and then you keep adding uh, uh, cornmeal into the water and then it'll become porridgey, but you keep adding a little bit by little bit and then it'll become solid, almost like Play-Doh, sort of. Uh, and then you eat that with, um, you You would uh, eat it with um, beef or uh, vegetables, do you, sauteed, that kind of thing. Do you pan fry it first, maybe? There's nothing like pan No, frying. just just no, boiled you, corn you, grits. You, oh, it's wonderful. Here's what you do. You just go down to the store, you buy yourself some Play-Doh, you sl- slap some sweet and sour sauce on it, and you got it. That's it, right there. <laughs> you take some, take, take some, some sort of meat, put it next to it, but eat that Play-Doh. So it's like it's like no, no, no. it's like eating going to Esther's house and eating Gugali is like going with my daughter to her friend's house and eating the Play-Doh. <laughs> no, Jeff came to my house one time. We were doing um, a video shoot for something that we were supposed to be showing here at the church, and so I made a Kenyan meal and all that. Invited some of my Kenyan friends. It was a missions or fall kickoff video, whatever. Anyway, so I made Ugali and Jeff ate some and he was so full he was just seated there feeling like oh dear where's my bed ugali is heavy it sits it sits nicely so in your belly it's so beautiful i think it's very satisfying so people m- most people out there have actually made a lot of people have made play-doh ezra you can mm. make it with flour and stuff it actually is quite <laughs> similar the process is very similar the taste is. the taste is very similar <laughs> oh come on <laughs> so to make it fun do you like add Coloring sometimes. Oh no, 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 no! You don't defile ugali this way. Oh, sorry. You just leave it. Cornmeal, yeah, beautiful. It's great. Well, that's that's great. Do you make anything besides play doh? 
at your house? I mean, I, I cook all sorts of things. I make curries. I we 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 do. Why haven't uh, you made anything for pork. the podcast yet? Um, I haven't been inspired by any of you. I don't feel like I want to cook I, for any of you. You always make fun of me. I so. don't make. I, I do it because I love you. Oh, and do I you? want. I I would like you to make ugali for us. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, because <laughs> what I'd like to do is after the podcast have a good nap. <laughs> oh, dude, I will make ugali okay, for you. Ugali. Okay. But we have to eat it the Kenyan way, right? With your oh, hands. With so you your hands. Munch it all together and Absolutely. roll it in your fingers and Oh man, this will be this will be fun times. I can't wait for this. <laughs> Actually, when we, we when you do that, we have to do a video podcast. Yeah. Yeah, we'll video ourselves eating Ugali and then That's right. one by one falling asleep oh, on the it'll table. It'll be beautiful. <laughs> I can't wait. Hey, guys, this week we actually got quite a few questions in over email. If you have a question you want the podcast crew to answer, please send them in to extra at northview.org, and we will do our best to bring it up in a timely fashion. The first one is uh, movie-related. This listener says, I'm hoping that one, of, one or more of you will eventually see the movie War Room and are able to make a recommendation that the church go see it or something like that. It was... Awesome about the power of prayer, and we all need to be a church in prayer. So, has anyone heard about War Room? Has yep. anyone seen War Room? Or I've not seen it, heard about it. Yes, I've heard about it. Um, Ezra, have you seen it? I've only seen the commercials. I haven't yet gone to the theater to to watch the movie, but I hear that it's a really it has a very strong message. What's it been? Prayer I made. think it was the top grossing film. Yes. Uh, yeah. One of the weekends mm-hmm. in the last little while, yep. so it has it has that going as for of, it. As of uh, as of this week, I think. So it's I'm d- the second. I'm just going to come movie. out and say it. Mm-hmm. I am largely skeptical of Christian films. Why? I think they often aren't very good. They're often heavy-handed and uh, are. They don't tell the stories very well. They seem to be intent on wanting to tell the message of the gospel, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But they want to tell that message as quickly as they can and really re- almost beat the head of the audience with it. And it's not, they're not received well mm-hmm. uh, critically. Not that that's a big deal because critics can like or not like it. But mm-hmm. I know of Christians who have made films that have been received well critically because they tell stories very well. And they, aren't, they, they are subtle in their message uh, and they're not heavy-handed. I have no... Believe, believe me, I haven't seen War Room. No idea if that's the case. But I'm mm-hmm. just saying that when I... When I hear about a Christian film coming out, that tends to be my first reaction is sometimes Christian films are not very, very Christian or they're a little bit overly cheesy. And sometimes they're just really not very good films. And that that backs up kind of what the reviews I've read. I think Christianity Today had a I think it was that magazine it had a quite an extensive review of War Room, and they said, while it does a good job for Christians who are going to see it, it does a good job of actually promoting uh, a healthy prayer life and to lift everything up to the Lord in prayer. It does have shallow character development. and So you've seen it. You're, you're just, you're just re- recounting the review from Correct. Christianity Today. Yeah, though. yeah. I don't know, what does Rotten Tomatoes give it, which is the kind of the wide consensus? Well, Ezra has a IMDb page open, so he can sh- actually, yeah, so the IMDb, which is an internet uh, movie, movie database, database uh, gave it a 6.1 out of 10. That's not that bad. And the Metascore, which is kind of a compilation of different 
critical reviews mm-hmm. gave it a 26 out of 100. Oof, that's not good. So, so of course, you know, you want to you want to be careful with that because some of the critics are just mad because they're not Christian, you know, they're not Christian. Owned. We're looking at the tomato meter on tomato, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and they're thirty seven percent. Interestingly, ninety one percent of the audience liked it. Of course, the people who are going to go to the film are probably already kind of Christiany, and so they like the fact that there's a Christian message in the in the message in the movie, and that's that's great. But so you don't want to take too much. I don't I don't want to take the critics too seriously about films like this. Um, Yet at the same time, you have to understand, you know, just because somebody's not a Christian doesn't mean they don't have an eye for beauty mm. or uh, good art. And in fact, sometimes um, that common grace is more attuned in unbelievers and disbelievers. Some, some, what I mean by that is sometimes uh, people who are not Christians actually have just, just as much or more uh, eye for, for beauty in, in certain kind of arts than, than Christians do. And so as a result, I don't want to minimize it either. So anyway, we're just talking around the, around Worm because we haven't seen it. Uh, I haven't I haven't done it. I do. I okay. So let me add one more piece to this. Part of my cynicism is also about the about the movie industry. And um, as a pastor, I know what movies industry does behind the scenes to try to get me to get my congregation to go to films. <laughs> so I get I get emails. I get <clears throat> messages. I get requests to go. Hey, can you show this movie on your at your church and have a private showing. Would you like to come to a special showing of this film? And then we are going to produce this small group curriculum around the film. It's it, and it's it's all a marketing ploy. They're they're trying to maximize the profits of their film. There's a reason that 90 Minutes in Heaven and Left Behind and War Room and all these other Christiany sort of films are being made these days, and that's because there's money in it. There's a lot of people who go to War Room, or a lot of people who go to these films, and so I'm I'm just a little bit hesitant about about buying in and even talking about it in a in a positive way and talking publicly, just because I feel like I'm being manipulated. If you didn't try to manipulate me and I went and saw the movie and I really liked it, I probably would talk about it. But I don't. Do you know? Have you ever had that experience with other things? You just kind of almost you 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 almost recoil and fight back against the the money making machine. And I, I admit that uh, freely. I, you can you can think it's a bad thing. It probably is. I I, I need to watch my cynicism when it comes to some of those mm-hmm. things. I will say though, um, for me, I look at it and I see uh, Christian movies have come a long way. Yeah, much of their being that yes. um, technically they're made much better than they used yes, to be, right? Exactly, they've come a long way, and I think it's the same the same way. Just like Christian music has come a long way, where you're now getting artists who are getting more more creative in their music, their lyrics, uh, depending on which group you're listening to. Their lyrics are now deeper, more meaningful as compared to to others. And so I see with movies. Do you think so? <clears throat> I think I think with I Christian, think that there's a lack of creativity in Christian art. But what I'm saying is... I think it's really... Um, it, it just copies each other over but, and over again. Yeah, but again, Jeff, I, Christian I, 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 hesitate, I hesitate saying that holistically that's not what no, Christian art is. So yeah, I'm fair. saying um, nowadays in mainstream media, I think there is 
room now for Christian art that is growing and developing more. I think in the secular world, there's a ton of money. So when when you have a bottomless pit of uh, dollars that you can use to make special effects and get the best actors and get all these things done, then obviously you get a movie that is Oscar-worthy. For the Christian, on, on Christian film, the, the dollars aren't quite quite there yet. But I think with the trend that is going now that the Christian, that um, big movie studios are realizing that there is money to be made in the evangelical Christian community, mm. I think you'll begin to see more and more Christian art that is up to the standard. Okay, te- technically, yes. I- I'm going to be... I'm going to agree with you. Mm-hmm. Technically, you know, you have the CGI and stuff like that. Mm. I don't think that the storytelling's up to the standard. Like, I don't, I don't think. I, I think, unfortunately, <clears throat> there there is almost a, a pressure among a among a, a filmmaker who's going to be making a Christian film, and it's it's going to if if it's going to be overtly Christian. I, I don't I don't know if there's a create. I don't know if there's an, kind of an open door to creativity for them. But I will say... I think that they need to sanitize it and they need to make it family-friendly yeah, and these but, sorts of things. And I'm, believe me, I like family-friendly mm-hmm. movies. I really do. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that not all stories can be told family-friendly. Mm-hmm. I don't think David and Bathsheba can be told in a family-friendly way. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if the rape of Tamar is is, a, is something to be told. Now, admittedly, mm-hmm. in the Bible, there's not a lot mentioned about it. Mm-hmm. But that kind of thing happens in scripture. That kind of thing happens in life. And mm-hmm. so art should delve into that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it needs to be gratuitous. I think there's way too much gratuitous stuff like that in film. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to like I don't I don't want to take a big swing at at the unbelieving artists mm-hmm. because I think that oftentimes they feel a sense of um, creative freedom that that some Christians don't. And I, I think it's a good thing to, for them to have a creative freedom. Mm-hmm. To a certain extent, yes. But because, I mean, I can see a Christian movie, I can see a Christian movie struggling with, uh, say, telling the David and Bathsheba story uh, with uh, the details that would have taken place. David seeing this woman bathing and then him bringing her to his chambers and all the rest of it. I can see Christian artists struggling to try and depict that on a big screen. Mm. I can see that because yeah. obviously now I'm married to my wife so does it, and so it, it becomes difficult. Yeah, and, then, and I would obviously. say I don't think that that story needs to be made into a movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but, I, yes, yes. But what, what I'm saying is my, my argument here is, yes, there will be certain limitations that Christian artists would have when it comes to depicting stories, especially when you have twists and turns in a story that will include... Um, that kind of narrative in the story. So yeah. my my argument here is, I think, moving forward, um, the Christian arts community are getting more creative than they used to be. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Yeah, they're getting more creative than they used to be. And I think there is a f- the future looks friendly toward them, I think. I, I also think that there's an element where the more popular the work the tendency it has to be lower on the subtlety scale. So a, a lot of the great art that's being done by Christians might not even be super well well known films or music simply because they they are willing to take the risks musically, lyrically through film that they know isn't going to reach a wide audience. Mm. But they also know it's what it means to be creative. And so what's what's creative now is going to be what's popular in five, seven years. Okay, here's, so, so let me just 
make a very mm-hmm. provocative statement just sure. for the fun of it, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so here's my experience with Christian music, another art form, right? My experience with Christian music is it all sounds the same. It all sounds like it's been developed in Nashville. It all sounds <clears> basically <throat> with a male, it's a male tenor with a guitar, and it it sound the lyrics are uh, often lack poetry at every turn. They're very literalistic. Uh, I mean, I wonder sometimes if they just why not just read the Psalms? You get a little bit of poetry, but they don't, right? We we very literalistic. And I think it's an echo chamber. I think, unfortunately, because they all live together and they all live around each other and they all tell each other what's good and what's valuable, they do. When you have some artists that try to break out from that, uh, I I, like Switchfoot, for example. I I enjoy Switchfoot a lot because of the artistry of their lyrics and their willingness to delve into issues that that are deep, but do it in a deeply almost questioning, wow, that U2 was great back in the day when they were asking questions in the 1980s. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's a question that a lot of people have about their, about their experience with as in Christianity. I'm, I'm just saying that it, it seems like they had to come out from within the confines of the Christian community to ask those questions. And I don't understand why that's the case. It seems to me that we should be the most creative people around. We are the ones who should be delving into the deepest questions of life as well or better than others, but we're not known for that. What we're known for is making kind of like, I don't know, as, as C.S. Lewis said one time, it's six, sixth-rate lyrics set to seventh-rate music. Seventh-rate music. Now, I'm not saying that's all the case. I, there are a lot of Christian artists who I think are fantastic and doing really good, really good work. Uh, but in a total broad brush, I'm just trying to say that I think that the Christian community creates a bit of an echo chamber, mm-hmm. saying that you have to you have to make sanitized. Uh, Christian bookstore kind of art, right? With Thomas Kincaid kind of work, mm-hmm. if you want it to be accepted. And listen, there's that's it's not an awful thing to have Thomas Kincaid stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty in some cases. I just don't know why all of it has to be like that. So we're we're in a in a studio in our church right now, recording this podcast that was built to kind of I think address some of these things where we would have worship leaders and musicians of our church actually have a, a space where they could record some stuff that they're working on. And so if you're out there and you are a Christian artist, you you are interested in writing good stuff that has lyrical depth and musical creativity to it, we would actually really love to hear from you because we'd love to be the kind of place that helps facilitate some of that, and just because it gets recorded here doesn't mean we're going to be singing it on the weekends or something like that. But but I do think we're we're giving it a go to see if we can't be a part of a, a community of people that are are trying to be creative and not have to worry about the mass appeal because we're not actually targeting the mass appeal. So if you're interested, you can email us at extranorthu.org and we'll get you in touch with the people who are involved in that. But I, I mean, I'm sure there are those people listening now who just feel like they'd be interested in that, but don't actually know where to go. So Johnny Markin. Johnny Markin is your guy. Question, if you're interested in anything like that. And if you play a horn, come <laughs> on, we need more horns. Don't you think? Like French? We lack horns. What I, happened to the horn in music? That's my new crusade. I Bring think, back the horn. I think the synth killed the horn. I watched a video of a guy the other day who every morning wakes up and he plays a shofar in his backyard at seven in the morning 
to declare his faith in Christ. I'm sorry, I'm giggling because I'm like, can you imagine being his neighbor? <laughs> like, I have a neighbor who's got a yappy dog. But some dude, 7 a.m., <laughs> and he's like going into battle against, he says, I gotta declare the Lord's favor over my family and stuff. And I was like, oh man, that would be funny. So I want those of you out there who have a shofar, I want to encourage you to blow that shofar. In front of Jeff's house. Oh, my gosh. That's just funny. Every morning. <laughs> do you Have you ever blown a shofar? Never. Why yes. not? Have you? Yes. Have you? Paul, do you do it at 7 in the morning? No, no. I, there's, what are you doing with a shofar? There's, I have a relative who has one, and I picked it up and played it like a trumpet. Dude, I was at a, was conf- I was at a conference once, once. once where the dude was some guy next to me was playing at the shofar during all the worship. And it's kind of a toneless instrument. It's a ram's horn, right? So mm-hmm. like it just has one tone. <laughs> Sounds like, uh, you know, the Hobbit, you know, the wars <laughs> and the Hobbit. And it was just funny because it was ruining the mu- the music was really good. And, and this guy would play it and you couldn't hear the music anymore. You heard the shofar. Oh, no, it's similar to a conch that they have in Hawaii that they, you know, they'll they'll blow it when the, the sun sets, that kind of thing. Yeah. So if you have a shofar out there, Paul Siemens would like to have it so he can blow it around our office. Before Seriously, if you do actually have a shofar, I would actually love to have it because I, I, I would blow that shofar in our office just for fun. He actually great. would. They gave him a Vuvuzela one time, and that was, that was a fun few months. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Hey, here's another question from uh, another listener. Uh, this one has to do with they have a friend who is engaged in reading and discussing the book The Secret, and they were wondering if any of us know anything about that and what are our words of uh, warning or correction that we'd want to bring to it. This person said, I'm, conf- I'm concerned what my friend may be getting involved in I'd love your feedback. Thanks. So you, I'm sorry I'm jumping in real quick here. Yeah, I do know the secret and know, know of it. It was very popular with Oprah quite a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, I think, is, although I, I don't really watch Oprah, so I don't know how much she's been talking about it. The secret is an idea. Uh, there's a book that was written. I can't remember the name of the author of the book, but I think it wasn't Chopra, was it? It wasn't Deepak Chopra. Anyway, it's, we'll find out. The secret is this idea that if you speak out truth, if you speak out truth into the universe, those words will have a creative power so that you will get what you claim, right? Rhonda Byrne is the name of the, of the uh, author of The Secret. Here's what I think is really interesting. Just listen to, remember what I just said. If you speak something out into the universe, the power of your words is such that you will get what you claimed. That is nearly precisely what the word faith movement is teaching. So there are Christians who will personalize that and say, well, you don't just speak it out into the universe. You you speak it out in the name of God into the universe, and you, who are made in the image of God, which means you have the same kind of creative power he has, Mm -hmm. will be able to get what you want by speaking it out. So people who believe the secret or the word faith movement are encouraged to, you know, write down little pithy sayings, sayings, (laughs) they'll put them on their mirror and they'll speak them out every day, right? In the 1980s, when you, when, if you watched uh, Saturday Night Live, there was a guy named Stuart Smalley on Saturday Night Live who mm. would do this. He'd look in the mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Yes. And so this, as crazy as it sounds, I mean, <laughs> that was a satire 
about about the self-esteem movement back in the 80s. But now Stuart Smalley is what the secret essentially is saying and what the word faith movement is saying. Mm-hmm. And it's dead lies. It's the verses that are used by word faith people to try to defend this are ripped out of context. They're ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even hard to, to contradict them by just looking at the simple context of each text that's cited. They cobble them together into some sort of glob of of theology that doesn't make really any sense or cohere. But at the end of the day, they say that you can get rich if you just talk about it enough. You can get that car, you can get that house, your kids can be healthy, you can be healthy. You know, whatever it is that you want, the secret is that you can get it by just declaring it because you are that powerful. And it's it's just, it's flat not true. So yes, if I were talking to my friend, I'd say, and if they were a Christian, I'd say this is totally not Christian in any way. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no truth behind it. God is the one who determines what we have and don't have. And Paul will come along and say, I've learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. Mm-hmm. Philippians, Philippians 4. 4. Mm-hmm. So if you want a secret, go to that one. Go to the mm-hmm. secret of contentment, knowing that even if you have a lot or a little, you will always have Jesus and he's enough. You bet. I think um, to the questioner, I would say it, that's not just one conversation that you'll have with your friend. That may be an ongoing conversation because, again, we do not know the depths of commitment that your friend has to this movement. And uh, I think assuming that one conversation or two conversations will sway your friend to move from his beliefs to, to join yours... Uh, I think it would be naive on your part if you assume that. So I think it will be an ongoing discipling conversation that you'll be having with your friend, looking at scriptures within their context, as Jeff has said, to draw this uh, brother or sister in Christ back into, into orthodoxy. Amen. Yeah, when you, when, you talk to, when you're talking to your friends about things, when it's a good idea to sit down with them and open the scriptures with them and say, okay, you have that verse that you're using to defend your, your word, faith, belief. Let's look at that. Let's look at the context that's in. Then talk about who wrote it. Talk about, like, if it's from Isaiah or uh, an Old Testament prophecy, look at the original audience that, was, that this was given to and, and what is this actually saying in the context and then just talk about how this well, we, when we take just the words and apply them in whatever way we feel, um, it's just like, I don't know, what's a good analogy for that, Jeff? Uh, insanity. There you Look, go. No, I, listen, meaning is, meaning is determined by the author of, uh, of a communication right. act. Yes. It's not determined by the receiver of that act. Right. Um, so, look. This I get a little bit, a little lot fired up about this because I, I'm I'm to the point where I'm really concerned for Christians all over the land. I'm not just talking about the person who's writing in. I'm really concerned that we have become so biblically illiterate and so hermeneutically uh, weak. What's Hermene- that word? Hermeneutically means uh, our ability to interpret the Bible is so inept now that we think it's a magic book and that there's we have become so bad that any false teacher who's got any kind of ability to stand up in front of a crowd, tell a few stories, make you laugh and cry, or has a deep resonating voice, can get your money, get your time, get your get your attention. And because they cobble together a couple verses here and there, that it beca- it they can they can win your mind to anything. I'm the guys, I listen, I'll bring up all sorts of stuff about this. I don't even right now, there's just been this all this talk among people 
about uh, the Shemitah, which is uh, the word for, for Jubilee or the Sabbath in, in the Old Testament. It was under the Old Testament law and the, under the Mosaic law. And there are, there, are, uh, uh, um, there are commentators and pastors, I don't want to call them that, who are going around, have been going around for the last month talking about how, on the one hand, it's either going to be a great time of blessing for you if, if you give God a whole bunch of money, or on the other hand, it's going to be a great time of judgment if you don't, right? And it's all, it's all lies. The people of God, we, we are not under the Mosaic Covenant. We are not under it. Christ fulfilled it. We are not the nation of Israel. The United States is not the nation of Israel. What the wor- words that were given to Israel, the theocracy of Israel, are not directly transferable and applicable to the United States of America. And it's always the United States, by the way. It's never Kenya that it's applicable to as a nation, or Canada. It's always the U.S. They cobble together some weird theology and, and uh, Bible. It is Bible twisting. It's They come up with patterns of dates and times that sound kind of conceivable. If you look, you know, you got to squint a little bit or, you know, look through a certain lens, and then they come up with certain events in history that are selectively chosen to try to verify their, their retelling of biblical history and saying, see, the Bible retells the whole events. When the, the Bible does no such thing, it's not even in the intent of any of the authors to tell that. But now there are people getting rich by writing books about it, and the stock market hasn't crashed on, on the Shemitah this year, even though they foretold all of it, didn't crash. But now they want to move the goalposts. They want to make it say, like, well, you know, it, we, we counted wrong or, or something like that instead of people standing up and saying, this guy's a false teacher, this guy's a false prophet, they end up saying, well, no, no, he's not a false prophet. He's, uh, he just didn't count right, or he just didn't figure it out right. No, we just need to be open to the next exciting move. You know what the exciting move is? Christ died for your sins. Preach that. Love him till your last breath. But for whatever reason, we're not, it's not, it's not exciting enough. For us, we don't want to center ourselves around the normal means of grace, but we want to get really excited about all sorts of other exciting things, which I, mean, I, hope, there, I hope there are great exciting moments in your life where the Lord speaks to you and you get new, new ideas about, about well, how great the gospel is. But the greatest things have already happened to you. The Lord might give you new ideas regarding uh, how to look at that better, but, but the gospel is it, right? It's like a diamond that he will turn and turn and turn and you will have renewal after renewal as, as you see it in new light. But that's the big thing. It's not, yeah, anyway, sorry. I keep, going, I keep going on and on. It drives me actually crazy and I'm really concerned for the people of God all around because we've become so undiscerning. And I think part of the, 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 the issue that's made it even harder for people is the assumption that there's, if it's going to be a false teacher, like we'll kind of know because they'll seem mean or so, it'll seem obvious. And I think a lot of people will look at people that we would say are false teachers and they say, yeah, but they're just, they seem like a really nice person and they seem really well intended and they do try to use the Bible. So it's, it's not, it's, it's how they use the Bible. This is part of my thing though, right? Go, go and look at how, how Satan tempts Jesus. Mm-hmm. He uses the Bible Mm-hmm. It's it's not like they're not going to use scripture. He just rips it out of context. He twists it to mean what he wants it to mean to try to get Jesus to bow down to him. You even look at how Satan worked in the garden with Eve. He twists God's word. Right. Yeah. But it's not like he's he's avoiding the word of God. Right. He takes the word of God, mangles it, 
This is why it's, it, I'm very troubled hermeneutics. Again, the, the, the process of interpretation is the big issue these days from my point of view. The people of God need to learn to love the Word of God first and learn how to read the Word of God second. Okay, so let me ask you this question. There'll be a listener listening, and uh, they want to love Jesus, want to embrace the gospel, and don't know how to discern between a good gospel teacher and a false teacher. So, Jeff, how then do we help? What would you say to, to a listener who's wondering, okay, so how do I discern between what is good and what is not good? If my friend invites me to a Christian gathering, I'm excited, I want to know the Lord, I go, the guy says some stuff, and he's very persuasive, great preacher or teacher, and he's quite persuasive in his argumentation. So how do I know what he's telling me is right and true? How do I know this? Right, well, the, again, the, the Bereans took what Paul said and compared it to the scriptures. This is what made them more noble than the Thessalonian Jews. So I, I'm telling you that what needs to start happening is not that we're closed off to any new ideas. Of course, we should be open to new ideas. We don't always see it right. We haven't always seen it right. There are, we have our own cultural lenses. But when those new ideas come to us, mm. our first port of call is the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's God's final word. It's his sure word. Mm -hmm. The scriptures are his sure word. So we take what they're saying. We understand that the authors of the scriptures have an intent, both historically and culturally, that needs to be taken into account. And we compare what those people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Mm -hmm. and, and I think what you'll end up finding, unfortunately, is many are, are completely skewed when it comes to their reading of Scripture. <coughs> to be honest with you, a lot of the churches, a lot of pastors these days just don't really care what the Bible means in its context. The Bible's a magic book that you just lift verses out of and you can apply them like platitudes, like bumper stickers to your faith. I'm really concerned because I think... Personally, I think one of the chief reasons that so many young adults are abandoning the faith right now is because the faith that they had was built on a bunch of platitudes. They were told over and over again between pizza and candy that, hey, here's a, here's a little pithy verse. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. And you know what that means? God wants you rich. And that's Jeremiah 29, and there's a context to Jeremiah 29. Mm -hmm. And the, pa the passage certainly has meaning, but it doesn't mean what they're saying it means. Mm -hmm. So I'm concerned that what we're, do, what we're not doing is taking what people are saying in the name of God and comparing it to the Word of God. What tools can a regular church member who's not a theologian, like a Bible right. school student, any tools that someone can right. rely I'm, on? I'm not actually saying that you have to be a great theologian. Mm -hmm. uh, all I'm saying is that if you, if you want to get better, better at this, mm -hmm. there are some books that you can read. I know Rob Plummer's got a great book on, four, I think it's called 40 Questions About Interpreting the Bible. That's an excellent, excellent resource. I, I think that, uh, is it Fee who wrote Reading the Lord Bible Fee. for All It's Worth, mm -hmm. which I think is an excellent book on hermeneutics, on, on biblical interpretation. It's, it's actually not that complicated. You and I know how to read texts all the time in their context. We do it with newspapers and blogs. We do it when somebody's telling us a joke. We understand sarcasm. We understand turns of phrases. We get it. We just need to get away from thinking the Bible is some sort of magic book that that there's some hidden code in and like you you should have like a I don't know you should have a stinkometer inside of you that when someone comes along and starts teaching something you've never heard before regarding something you should I'm not saying don't be open to it I'm just saying you should be like ah, like you're I'm gonna be hard to convince hmm. like I want to hear you more 
but I'm going to be hard to convince. And I'm going to ask a lot of questions about the context of every passage you cite. First of all, you better be citing passages. And, and then I'm going to ask a lot of questions about what the meaning of those texts is in their context. Very good. Yeah, and another resource you can look to is uh, as a part of our TLC courses fairly regularly, we'll have different courses about how to study the Bible, and we'll probably have some of those as some weekend seminars and that kind of stuff. So if you go to Northview, stay tuned for some of those uh, seminars. We, we try to make them available frequently so people who are listening to things like this are able to to get some some training from a, a pastor or an elder from our church. And, and another thing that many Christians have is a good study Bible. Yeah, uh, they're easy to find. Get yourself a good study Bible and read when, at the beginning of each chapter where it talks about the background, it talks about the culture of the city or, or whoever it was written to and who wrote it. Read that stuff because that'll help you understand what the author is saying. Great. NIV study, ESV study, both excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. All right, one more question for our time together. Uh, so here we go. Uh, extra gang, my wife and I recently moved into a new home, and some friends offered to pray through the home, anointing each of the entrances with oil in the shape of the cross, and all was done in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But for some reason, it struck me as more superstitious than anything. They were cleansing out any demonic activity and calling for protection on the home and he asks, is there a biblical precedent for this type of spiritual warfare, or are we in danger of blending some kind of Christian faith with superstitious Eastern religion? He said that our well-meaning friends read Exodus 12, 7, which has to do with uh, putting blood on the doorposts during the Passover. Right, okay, so can, yeah, can but we, the context of the passage seems un, unrelated. God, and so God bless the questioner for, for bringing up the context of the passage. So in Exodus, what, what are we talking about here? What's going on? Well, it's it's the part where where you've got uh, it's Passover, where the Passover is happening, mm-hmm. and, and the mm-hmm. Lord commanded mm-hmm. that if you don't want your firstborn to die as part of the plague, the final plague on Egypt, you will identify yourself and your family with the Lord your God by killing a lamb, oh. perfect lamb, and painting over the door frames of your home. This is applied, by the way, in the New Testament. Uh, this is applied in the New Testament to Christ, who is our perfect lamb and whose blood was painted for us over the door frames of our heart. So, so anyway, the, the meaning there is that uh, if the Lord is going to carry out a plague against you and commands you specifically to paint your door frames, you should do this. To, to use this text now as a justification that every time you, you, you have a new home that we should paint the door frames by the way, I find it interesting that they, they're literally painting the door frames, but it's not with the blood of an animal. I, I find that interesting. Why not? They're using why not? Oil. Why not literal with the blood of an animal anyway? But they're using think, this text the in text... a way that the author never intended it to be used. Mm-hmm. Uh, and quite honestly, and the reason I want Ezra to say something about this is that well, I've been some places in the world where this sort of thing happens, but it's not God. I mean, it, it's not Yahweh that they're doing it in the name of. They're doing it in the name of lots of lots of other things. That's right. Do you oh have boy. some experience? You know, if if I began answering this question, we'll be here all day. I would say, see, I can see the 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 friends of the questioner's intent. 
Like they want the home where these people live, like God's blessing to be there and all that stuff. I get it. The intention, but it's a good intention. It's a good it's intention. A kind, it's a kind yes, intention. Absolutely. It's a friendly intention. Yes. And the there's, there's also a piece of their worldview that I think is healthy in the sense that they aren't just functioning like naturalists who think that there's no such thing as right. the demonic world. They yes. actually think that that people can be affected right. by evil spirits and they're wanting to protect this family and this home from that all, activity because they good. think it's legit. All, all good. good. Yes, but here's where the problem lies for me. You have a bunch of people who are now beginning to worship God the way they think God needs to be worshipped and honored rather than going back to the biblical text and letting the text guide us in how we worship God and honor him. So we there is nowhere in scripture where I, I am told um, in the New Testament, even in the Old, I don't think, I'm told that I need to anoint things with oil. Nowhere. It's... That's- People who the we sick, anoint. The sick, the sick you would. In James 5. Right. The sick we anoint with oil and pray that God would yeah, be... Yeah, I can't think of know, anywhere where you actually have a text, but a New Testament I, passage I in particular, see. where you actually have I, somebody anointing, yes. somebody, not a person, but like exactly. inanimate objects. No, the only things would be at the temple... When they take the blood and they sprinkle it on things, that yes. would be that would be the only. Just a again, picture again. Again, it's a picture right. of Christ. Yes, yes exactly. And, He's fulfilled it. Yes. yes, and that was God directed. Yes. So in other words, it was very specific. God said, "You will do that where." The temple. In the, the temple. temple. Okay, so exactly. What, what about praying for a space to remove it from the anointing of oil piece? Because I think that might have just been a spiritual. Add on activity. What what about the oh, praying for a you know space pray? piece? Honestly, I would come to your house and I pray that the yeah. Lord would grant <laughs> you the opportunity to use this house yes, for His glory. Absolutely. That the things that go on in this home would be bring honor to Him. Yes. Thank God that He has provided you this mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you walk through each room and pray that, that's awesome. Have a go. It's yeah. good. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, quite honestly, I don't have any problem with people walking through each room and praying these things. I, I do have mm-hmm. a problem with people praying out territorial spirits because I don't this this idea Again, of territorial spirits is really not not biblically. There's one text I think that has to do uh, with I, I can't Daniel remember. ten. Yeah, Daniel ten. That seems to say something, but people have made so much out of it. It's very difficult to tell. Uh, and again, with Daniel ten, the teaching there is not. It's not that we need to pray against territorial spirits. This is God like pulling back the veil to show Daniel what's going on behind the scenes. But it's not God telling Daniel, now pray for your angels to, to, to defeat the right. evil spirits. It's, that text doesn't teach that at all. It's yeah. just see what's going on behind the scenes. You know, prayer, prayer is always devoted to God. Absolutely. <laughs> And I, again, if somebody is demon possessed, then they should be. Then we should confront the demons in that kind of spiritual warfare. There just is no example in the Bible of this sort of thing happening. If you want to pray for your house, whether you do it through each room, whether you do it uh, just gathering in, in the living room, or whether you do it in your office and pray for the house, which is five you know kilometers away, it's all it's all good. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just no biblical precedent to say that this is the way it ought to be done. I mean, there are many, there are many, um, there are many instances where, say, for instance, in Africa, where um, if I went to my village and I said, I want to build myself a house, then I'd have to go and get a white chicken and then place it, tie it to a tree or a little shrub that is 
on the farm or on the piece of on the property where I'm wanting to build my house. And if that chicken is dead in three days, then that's an evil place for me to to build my house. I need to go to another place. Like it's obviously that's what people believe. It's animism. Yeah, absolutely it is. And I don't see a difference between that and what some Christians well meaning. It's syncretism. It's that's my point though, is you're just, you're just syncretizing. You're yes. you're saying I mean, this would be somebody who comes along and says, "Well, I, I, I want, I'm going to start a yoga class, and have everyone take the yoga class so that they can worship God in this new special way." And and I'm like, "Well, I mean, Ezra and I have these this, this funny fight where I'm look, are, you're you're taking a form that's dedicated to Hinduism, mm-hmm. and now and now you're going to make it into the form that Christians are told that they ought to use or they ought to do this sort of thing. As or a way of worship, as, as a, a way of worship. Way. Again, I don't, I don't. It's a, mm-hmm. you can if you want to do that. I suppose you can, but there's no guarantee that the Lord is meeting with you or answering <laughs> the prayer. I, what I'm saying is, that if you want to share a word from God, to go with what the Word says, go with what the Scriptures say. Mm-hmm. Our Father, who you want to learn how to pray, our Father who art in heaven, Holy, hallowed be your name. Exactly. So again, it's <laughs> stick with the word. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's any. I mean, I, I do want to reiterate, as we said a minute ago, that this person, they're well-meaning friends, yes. and they're and they're trying, of course, and then, which is the questioner asked that too. They're well-meaning friends, and they want to do the best they can to try to help and things like that. I do think that they carry in a certain perspective theologically that I I wouldn't. I wouldn't hold, and I don't want anyone out there thinking that if they buy a new house, this is something that they ought to emulate. I think the warning, the big warning from from where I sit is, let the the scriptures guide the way we worship. Let the scriptures guide the way you worship, the way you pray, the way you do. Let the scriptures teach you how. Don't worship God the way you think he, he should be worshipped. You're not holy enough to figure out how God is to be worshipped. Let the scriptures themselves guide you in that activity, and you'll be safe, I think. That's great. Hey, guys, thanks so much for your thoughts. Paul, did I interrupt you? Are you good? I'm good, good, thank you. He can say that. Awesome. He can. Yeah, you can give us a little uh, send-off of our our last word if you want. But as you're doing that, let me just encourage you all that if you have a question you want the podcast gang to, to answer, please email those into extra at northview.org. Ezra is whispering something to Jeff about, do you want to say something about something? Well, just say it you, out loud. Why can't you just say it out loud? Oh, we started with, <laughs> we started this last weekend with our West Court service, uh, our venue. And I uh, just want to keep reminding people that I mean, what's going on in Northview these days is really cool. We've got quite a few different venues. So if you want to come to church on Saturday night, we have uh, we have our worship center. And if you want to come Sunday, there's food actually yeah, before the worship center or before Saturday night service, and that's starting this week. And uh, and then on Sunday morning, we have a 9 o'clock and 11.15, and we have three venues at each time. So we have a West Court, which is about, I don't know, 100 to 150 people in a very remodeled, quite nice, bright, cheery room. Uh, we have Center Court, which is not as packed now because there's some folks going over to West Court. And the Worship Center, which has got some, some space in, in those times, uh, 9, 11, 15. So just so you know, and then Sunday night service, yeah, we come. What time does uh, Sunday night start? 5.30? Meal, meals at 4.45, and the service starts at 5.30. Right, but food is there, too. 
So there's lots of different options for you. There's no reason at all why you can't go to church. Plus, if you live in Mission, Ooh. we're closer to Mission. We have a Mission campus. Which has two services itself, uh, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And you can go up there on Dudney Trunk Road there. And uh, it's great. Ezra will be there. If you haven't so, been to church in a while, you should come to one of those services or like campuses it. or venues. And we promise there's something you like. love to see you. Paul. Yeah, we'd love to have you. So to close today, we'll look at Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. We're great.